Hello, Damon. Jeremy, how are you? I am pre-Halloween happy enough. How are you? That sounds like you're on a candy fast getting ready. (laughs) (laughs) I have a friend who is brilliant, and he once said that peanut M&Ms are my favorite kind of M&Ms and my favorite kind of peanuts. (laughs) (laughs) And... There are certain candies I really am into and cherish and look forward to until I eat four of them, and then I regret it. <laughs> and then there's others I don't even want four of. Yeah, I'm definitely more of a chocolate guy. I would go Reese's peanut butter cups and Snickers. I'll throw a, I'll throw a nice girthy Snickers in the mix every once in a while. Well, we don't get too many girthy ones. That's the whole thing with Halloween now. Everything's single portion size, but <laughs> I guess that's probably better. I don't know if we need a girthy Snickers. So moving away from the candy ball, if we can. Sure. please. I want to share a practice, activity, inquiry, obsession that I have that I've never told you about that I predict you're going to love. Okay. But I want your feedback and framework about, and maybe you'll find it corny and full of holes. So We'll see. Okay. It's called The Game. Hmm. And it draws on virtual reality gear, video games, and simulation theory, but is itself completely free and completely tech free. Hmm. What you do is you close your eyes and you imagine putting on a virtual reality headset. Okay. Then you open your eyes. The premise is you are now in a virtual reality environment. You are in the game and you are to treat it as such. So, for example, I did it as I was telling you to do it. I don't know if you did it as I was telling you to do it. I did. Where am I? (laughs) Is step one. What is this environment that I have been transported into? So I look around and I seem to be in a room and there are books and bookcases, there's dictionaries, there's a computer screen, there's family photos, there's a history here, maybe a profession or at least an interest. Out the window, there's blue sky, there's white clouds, there's yellow, brown, orange, green leaves in trees that are fluttering. I'm starting to notice light outside. It looks to be midday-ish. My toes are cold. I have toes. Whoa. Whoa. I scoot back. I look down and I see bare feet. I stretch my hands out and I see hands. Oh, there's a wedding ring. (laughs) Interesting. I'm getting a sense of my avatar. I'm looking down. Oh, wait a second. This computer screen has a bit of a reflection and I can see dim echoes of the face. Okay. Now, what do I do? Well, I do whatever I want. (laughs) (laughs) I explore this environment. And one thing that's remarkable about it is this is a really amazing virtual reality. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever used virtual reality, if you've ever put on one of those headsets. Have you? I have, yeah. There's a transporting quality to them because... There's not a visual seam, if you will, where the screen ends and the rest of the world begins. And yet the graphics quality is not as good as this, but there are similarities. I can see clouds and sky in there, but they don't seem quite as detailed or as big a sky as the one I'm seeing here. There's things on the wall, but they don't seem quite as nuanced. Let me see something. If I take up one of these books, as I've tried to do in a virtual reality environment, (laughs) when I try to pick those up, 
I find I can't actually open them up and read them. They're decorative, like uh, wainscoting. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this book I can open and I can turn the pages and I can see it. And I had that physical sensation too. It's beyond the visual. I could feel my feet being cold, but I also have a sweatshirt and my, my mid-body feels quite warm. I see a glass of water. I'm going to reach to it, sip, so I can drink. And I bet I could taste. It's something I definitely want to explore. That'd be crazy. (laughs) (laughs) If I put this thing on and I can taste. And then I have a bit of a problem conversationally with you because I am a bit tethered to this microphone. But okay, I'll work with those constraints. Without them, though, in the game as I often play it, I don't have that constraint and I can walk out of the room and I can see what's in the next room. What do I want to do? Do I want to start reading these books (laughs) that are here next to me? Do I want to drink this water? I look for that food, see if it's got taste. How good is this sim? (laughs) Do I want to go out and look at these trees, turn them over? If I see other houses, like, can I read the books inside those? (laughs) (laughs) How far does this go? And I start exploring. And it's quite open. Nevertheless, there are certain possibilities for scoring that I call scenarios. Mm -hmm. And the scenario is just the choices presented to me in a moment. So say I'm in the bathroom in the morning and I decide to play the game. I put on the mask. I open my eyes and I'm in the simulation. Okay. I check it out. Interesting. Interesting. I see a toothbrush. We all know computer games are designed. (laughs) They have environments that you can explore in an open-ended way, but they usually do have scoring and goals and objectives. And all of a sudden I can picture, hmm, Should it be, if it's a hedonic, a happiness goal, or even just a sensory goal, or even just a play with how deep does this game go goal, what would happen if I picked up this toothbrush and I look for toothpaste? Yeah. Oh, I found the toothbrush and the toothpaste. It's like, ting. I can picture like two little points. (laughs) (laughs) I apply it. I turn it on. Oh, the it's one of those electric toothbrushes. The toothpaste splatters all around the wall. Oops. <laughs> I lose two points. Okay. I get, you know, some tissue paper. I clean up the wall. I do it again, but this time I turn it on when it's in my mouth <laughs> <laughs> and I move it around and I can feel it cleaning these teeth. And that's amazing. What am I going to do next? Do I want to stay in this amazing, well worth 99 cent iPad app of being in the bathroom, morning ablutions, and (laughs) see if I open the cabinet and shave. (laughs) Mm. Or maybe I can find eyeshadow and put on eyeshadow. I can be at the salon. Maybe I want to take off clothes and shower. Oh, boy. Maybe I want to go to another room and see if there's a way to get dressed or pick clothes. Maybe I'm already dressed. And... I want to go outside or maybe I want to go upstairs and I get into the next situation, the next scenario. So like today I was playing the game at lunchtime and it was, I left work to take a little lunchtime break and I walked downstairs and there was another person there. (laughs) Yeah. There was my daughter and she was doing some homework and she had a question. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, okay, scenario registering kid, what do you do? Do you say, no, I'm busy? <laughs> <laughs> do you say, I'd be happy to help you later? Do you help? With what level of engagement? How do you keep the toothpaste from hitting the wall, if you will? Mm-hmm. And did that for a little bit, drifted away, it was outside, like, whoa. Started walking to a park, someone I knew but hadn't spoken to in Many, many months started talking to me. It's like, oh, do I break it off to go to the continued goal of walking to the park that I was planning to? Or do I reorient? And how does that feel? Where do the points tinkle up or down or in what 
metrics. I start having gauges for things and so on. And to the degree that I can stay in the game or re-enter the game at these different levels or scenarios, I find a sense of presence, of wonder, and challenge. And it's not as ruminative in a negative way, but I don't think it's necessarily anti-intellectual or anti-conceiving or having thoughts. If that's how you want to do it, okay, play the game of writing an email (laughs) or building to a task. It's a longer term task that maybe is an even bigger challenge in the bigger sense. It's always this back and forth. So I could go on. I could talk about a million scenarios that I've used this in. I could talk about how a friend was using it recently. I could explain some of the early experiences that led me to this. But I guess I want to turn it back to you for where it's all hitting you at the moment, whether it's novel, stunningly obvious, an intersection of the two, or (laughs) something else altogether. Well, first of all, I think it's amazing. And I put the VR on myself and I closed my eyes and I opened my eyes and I looked up and I immediately noticed things in my office that I have never noticed before. Yes. I see so many more spider webs. (laughs) Right. I'm just like, this is amazing. They did such a good job. Yeah. Or even things where it's dirty. It's like, oh, it's just actually harder to make spots of dirt than a clean, gleaming, shining something. Right. So there's that just as a personal experience. And then I I did what you typically do when you have the VR set on. You, you look down and around and up and around. And I noticed that I have a hundred-year-old barn wood on one of the doors in my office. And I noticed that I noticed the detail within the wood, that there are all these holes where nails went in and the different striations in the wood that I hadn't noticed before and the different remnants of flecks of paint. And what I, what I notice about how it's, normally when I'm not playing the game in this case is that I transcribe a very generic label on the door. Oh, it's the barn door. Yeah. Cool. And without the detail. So we, we are open ourselves up to this wonderment and our mind and our thinking mind is constantly has that reel going. And and that's not always a bad thing. As you said, you can be in default mode network, but that can be creative, for example. But the mind is always rambling on about experiences, but it cannot deliver an experience. Mm, I love that. And I I think that's the thing that sticks out, that... We have experiences that were essentially, it's like when you watch the governor give a state of an emergency and there's a person in the corner who's doing sign language. Yeah. And, and in a way we're having experience in life and there's an interpreter that's in our head telling us about the experience. It's almost like glasses that aren't your prescription. So they just make everything fuzzy. Or maybe it's like having a headset piece like a news anchor does. So you're constantly getting all this verbal overlay to your experiences that makes you have to diminish your sense of your senses because you can't take them both in at 100%. Right, right. So it's in a way you're stoking this embodied self-awareness where you're having a felt experience when you're playing the game and having a felt experience is much different than having that interpreter tell you about the experience. And within that felt experience, you're experiencing what's going on within you. You're experiencing the boundaries 
the body in motion. So those are things that are going on with your balance and equilibrium coordination. And you're experiencing what's happening with within the more autonomic sense of your feelings. And you're able to also tap into emotional feelings. So the happy, sad model. And within the game, you're giving yourself permission to live within the felt experience and not the, just the thinking experience. So I think there's tremendous value in that exercise because as you said, it could be intellectual, it, it could be interpersonal, but the relationship that you have to the surroundings, you are in the world. And I think that's another profound something, to, that's a, a, a profound thing to underscore that often we feel like we're here and the world is there. Mm. And what you did by putting on the headset is you went into the world. And so now you're a player, you're an active member within the world. And this is another thing that the mind often, we have this disassociation that we are just another player within, within the game. And we think that the, the game's over there and we are over here. We're trapped behind our eyes. And so I think that you're drilling down into the present moment in a deeper way. I think that you're you're allowing and giving permission to see things through a fresh set of senses and you are in a really elegant way telling that chatterbox within that this doesn't need interpretation right now that I'm I'm setting the intention to pay attention the active scoring if you will, mm -hmm. is something that I want to emphasize as well. Mm -hmm. Because I don't know what the word is. If it's not sensory, it's intuitive, if you will, but that doesn't make it not clear or measurable. I think you can tap into your intuition just like you can tap into your senses. Mm -hmm. And even by intuition, I really mean intention. Mm -hmm. In every experience, you have an opportunity to overlay it with intention. For example, I was reminded of the game so fortuitously by a friend who was having a hard time at work because she had a ton of stuff to do, but it actually wasn't engaging to her. So she was both overloaded and underwhelmed <laughs> mm -hmm. and painfully bored, but also super stressed. And like so many problems that a friend can have, this was so wonderful to me because I had been having a really hard time myself, but now I had a chance to get outside myself and make some suggestions. And I remembered the game and I gave it to her and we started playing it together via text. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I was thinking about what could the game be for her in that situation and the intention, challenge, intuition that we struck on after a few different examples that we cycled through was, can I be as physically comfortable as possible this whole time? Hmm. How can I maximize my physical comfort? And then it's like, well, I don't know. Is it answering these emails, going to these Zoom meetings, filling out this paperwork while lying in bed? <laughs> uh -huh. Is it wrapped in a blanket? Is it standing? Is it crouching on the balls of your feet? Is it a gentle rolling back and forth of the shoulders? Is it an even breathing? And what it does is it overlays the scenario that she's in with a challenge that is engaging and is rewarding. And I don't think is sapping from the actual activity at hand. I'd say just the opposite. If it's engaging, it's letting her stay in it and gamifying it. 
And I know for me, an example of an interpersonal use of the game is I'm walking through that park with my wife, Chrissy, and neither of us is talking and I'm still in my head from work and probably she's still in her head from work. And I put on the game and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, remain silent, (laughs) share something from myself, ask her about her day, make a neutral observation that maybe takes us out of the work head, start jogging and go catch (laughs) me if you can. (laughs) It's a totally open scenario, but that doesn't mean you don't have choices. And starting to articulate those choices in advance and then articulate some of the metrics that let you evaluate your score, if you will, as you go along and then trying them and seeing, it's really fun and engaging and I think rewarding. And despite the gloss of the game, I think has a chance to be actually much more authentic than as you say, the separated self that we're often stuck with by our thinking mind. Yeah, it's just refreshing. It feels refreshing. I'm thinking about your the example with your friend, and I think that's a really good one of can we get as physically comfortable as possible and still bang out the mundane work? And what just happened right there, back to my earlier point about this embodied self-awareness, and just the felt experience, we are creating and crafting and gamifying our felt experience, even in the midst of doing this mundane, brainless type of work. And so the overlay is a real thing. And the frame that just activated was, wasn't, oh gosh, this work sucks. And because the work sucks, what typically happens is that we become more tense, we become more balled up, there's less flow within our body, and now it compounds. So the work sucks, but then we also start to feel worse. And then that's just a obvious that's a very that's a very familiar pattern for most of us. So what you did is you tweaked it and said, okay, well, the work let's forget about the work for a minute and let's feel good. And just by doing that, the work no longer takes on this suffrage, but it still might, you know, not be fun to do, but we feel good. And that shifts how we perceive what it is that we're doing. So I think on that front, coming back to this felt experience, it was a really wise suggestion. And I'm sure she, I'm sure it it completely transformed how she went about those activities. And I think for our listeners, that is a real offline, low-hanging fruit type of a till of a, a skill or tip to to practice. When we're doing things that are not fun or boring or mundane, can we do those things and feel physically uh, comfortable, as physically comfortable as we can? And then to your other point around walking with Chrissy and then starting to play the game, now you have options. And that this show is called Stimulus and Response. And what what just happened right there is that you created some space to choose your response or to choose to insert stimuli. And Victor Frankl says that that's freedom. That is ultimately, literally, the essence of being a free human is creating a little space between the stimulus and response, thereby being able to choose. So playing the game, by its very nature, buffers against this ricochet of this person did this, I need to do that. Or I wake up in the morning, I squeeze the toothpaste mindlessly onto my toothbrush and I cram it into my mouth really fast and I'm still stressed and my shoulders are hunched and I you know, pour the water and oh, it just spilled in the thing and I'm upset about that and I put the tube back on and, and I'm moving on in my day. That is a typical pattern for most of us. 
but all of a sudden you had this drop down list. All right, I'm gonna play the game. Now, it's not just the the mind is one way I say it, and in other words, just the ego. And I'm sure there are moments for many people who would entertain this idea. I know I would, where I would be like, I don't want to play the stupid game right now. Come on, dude. Come on. You've got work to do. You're busy being miserable right now. Who's got time for this game business? I'm walking with my wife, and neither of us are talking. And I'm gonna. I'm stubborn. I'm not gonna say the first thing. I don't. Why are we even doing this walk? Right. All that stuff mm-hmm. ends up being like purgatory. It's just an awful place to be. And so, by playing the game, you gave yourself an excuse to transfer off of that robotic, well-worn patterns, neural neural wiring, really, even because you've played the game this other way for so long. And by saying, hey, this is a new, I just bought this, this, just bought this from my PlayStation. I just got this new VR game. Let's try it out. You're allowing yourself to create a new wire inside your own brain. And then the drop-down menu comes in. Should I be the first one to talk? Should I run? Should I make a joke? Should I ask an open-ended question? Now I have options. And what do options do? They make us feel more engaged. They make us, It there's a, another part of our brain called the seeking system that suddenly this is an adventure. And what else happens? We get a little squirt of dopamine. And dopamine feels good. And if we give ourselves two points for asking an open-ended question, we get another little hit of dopamine. And that feels good. Hey, this is fun. And now we're more present. We're, our nervous system has regulated. We've got out of the old condition, the old pre-programming, all that wiring. And we are genuinely, truly more connected to the present moment back to the very beginning where I start to see things through a different lens because I put the put the headset on, you are now in a different lens within this walk down the street. And you've shifted scenarios. I've gone from the silent walk and now I've entered the conversation. Like in an old style video game, it would actually like shift screens and I go, oh, I did do the right number of toggles and clicks and got over the right troll and shot the right mushroom or whatever. And now (laughs) I'm in this conversation. I'm in a whole new scenario, for example. Or, oh, we started that and then I fell out of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, how do I try again next time? And it's like, but it's just a game. And so there's that. I think when you're not having the intention, when you don't have the drop-down menu, you are not there. You're skepticism which i totally share about that's silly it's not a game it's life the problem is i don't think we have an option i think you are playing or you are played you're on the automatic loop like that the video game just plays while it's waiting for a kid to put in a quarter in the old arcade style Mm -hmm. or you've got the quarter in and you're actually at the controls uh, or you're one of those passive objects on an automatic loop and do you want to take the controls back and 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 be there and that's that level of passivity or victimhood or lack of presence is a huge loss and i don't think there's a third option between playing and and being played Mm. yeah and some of the more traditional modes or methodologies for trying to stoke that are gratitude. You know, what does gratitude do? It makes us aware of what's happening right now. I'm grateful for the trees out my window where the these beautiful yellow birds land on the branches, right? I mean, I am drilling, I'm, I'm coming back into this moment and seeing the magic of, of being alive. So and it's natural. It's not forced because there's not an outside the game. You're, you're in the game and it's like, wow, look at this or, or not look at something else. But it's absurd to think of playing even a simple VR ping pong game 
that you're not going to be doing it and your to-do list at the same time, probably. You're going to be immersed in it. And what's cool about the game is, yes, you might start doing your to-do list, but then you just say, okay, is that what I want to do? Maybe. Yes. Let me make my to-do list <laughs> on purpose. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll feel whatever tinkle of points that way, or I'll go, ah, I want to move on to something else. I want to run through the backyard, find a Frisbee or whatever. And that, that also touches on the fact that we cannot focus on two things at the same time. So if I'm playing the game, that's all I'm doing. I'm playing the game. I can't play the game and ruminate about the stress about the project tomorrow or just the whatever boring thing or scary or stressful thing. It's not possible to do both of those things at the same time. So gratitude, it puts us, it plunges us into what's happening. As you say, like we're, we're really here in the game and it, and it, it literally removes our ability from being distracted by what might happen or what already happened. So that's a really powerful, poignant and profound uh, practice to build. And it, and there is a, a level of playing the game that really is deeply appreciative of what we're doing in the, in the moment. And so we're really not as difficult to figure out as we think we are. I think we think we're super complex, but to your point, you're either playing the game or you're getting played, but you're either focusing on something that you're grateful for, or you're focusing on all typically all the, the distractions and the wanderings and the projections and the regrets. And, and sometimes also those are creative things, the problem solving and the intellectual musings, et cetera. So gratitude is a really powerful way to do this. Another one that just jumps out is the Stoics had this dialed. Hey, look, the game doesn't last forever. When you die in the game, you die in real life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And so what happens when we realize that everything gets a little bit clearer, a little more crisp, a little more real, and and maybe even a little more magical because it is alive. We are alive right now. And it takes us from getting played to being a playing when we realize that this isn't going on indefinitely. And there is no guarantees that it might be in a minute. It might be tomorrow. So I think that when people can get beyond the initial gut punch of that existential crisis and the overwhelm of no, being no longer here, if we can push through that, boy, the colors on the trees look more crisp and the smile on your daughter's face just melts you every single time. And the sky is different and magical every time you look at it. And the moon, it just seems like it's, it's just translucent and alive. Even the boring Zoom call takes on a a new meaning when we can do that. And it is not escapist or not necessarily escapist is something I want to share. And let me explain why. I was miserable. I was overwhelmed by all the problems of the world when my friend shared her own situation. And I just felt like there was nothing to do. (laughs) And in entering the game, I was reminded of the truth, which is you can do things, but you can only do one thing at a time. (laughs) Hmm. And you have a huge host of options. And the idea that you can't fix everything at once and just be done and safe and fine and settled forever that's the game. Okay. But what kind of game would it be if you could? You could argue, but regardless of how you might design it, that's just not the game. And so it is totally fine to say, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to make this call. And then I'm going to make that call. I'm going to write this letter to the editor. And then I'm going to organize this website. Or I'm going to make this sign and march. Or, yeah, I'm going to hug a tree and 
organize a tree hugging gathering <laughs> because maybe people just need to chill out. Whatever it is, all of a sudden, once you have these options, you're pursuing them. And you don't have this illusion, which is an illusion that there's nothing to do unless everything's fine. Because that's not the game. The game, again, is life. So true. And I know I always I have this this phrase that when things are big, go small. And it's a reminder that all I need to do is the thing that's right in front of me or one thing, as you said. And I like to start on my drop down menu when I think when I have that, when I'm activated in that way, my drop down menu is all the low hanging fruit. It's the things that we do every day. Get the easy early wins. Yes. That, that seem easy enough that you might say, oh, I don't need to do it. But if you don't, you're doomed. And if you do, all of a sudden, you're, you're actually in a pretty good position and things seem okay. And one of them is just this hygiene that you mentioned. I, I like to floss my teeth when I get overwhelmed. And it, it, I'm setting the intention that I'm still going to floss my teeth in the same amount of time that I normally would, but I just do it. I become completely immersed in it and I get in there and I, and I really like shimmy and burrow the, the floss into this, just the deepest recesses. And then I move it over and I do it gently so that when the floss hits the top of my tooth, instead of like pushing straight down and having to get just crammed down into your gums, you, you shimmy it back and forth until it slides past that tension point. And then you come down into one side and the other and four minutes, three, four minutes. But what I just did was I modeled uh, present moment awareness and I modeled doing something mindfully and doing it well. And so if I can stack that win and the other thing I, that I, that I think is the, on the back end of that is to just briefly celebrate the fact that you just did that well. We can all do something right now extremely well. We can do it as like a like a virtuoso. And so whatever that whatever that is, start there and do something with elegance and do it with nuance and it doesn't have to take a long time, but now you're in a different place. And I think there's real value in that as well. It's not that we need to go from negative to positive often. Often it's like we need to go from negative to neutral. And we don't go from A to Z, we go from A to B. And then when we get to B, everything looks different than it did at A. So this is, this is something that's very profound and it's these small little lily pads, these small little stepping stones. But when you step on that one, instead of taking it for granted, do so with the grace of, of a dancer. And I think that we undervalue that we've shifted state with something that small. I want to share too from the physical comfort challenge. You talked about, hey, yeah, you're doing this thing you don't want to do, but at least you're comfortable. And I want to report, you may still not be comfortable. I found over and over again that I wasn't comfortable and it was still great. <laughs> and I'll just explain the awareness when I would check in on how I was doing, I would realize I was uncomfortable and I would try to make shifts to become less uncomfortable. <laughs> I wouldn't even say it was getting to comfortable or then more comfortable. It was, I'm looking at the text I sent. My butt is sore. I'm thirsty. I want to go to the bathroom and I'm holding my breath. <laughs> Update. I got up. I drank water. I went to the bathroom. Now I am breathing. <laughs> Update. I made myself a little snack bowl, which I never do. Almonds and dried plums. Seeing if that makes me more comfortable or not. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Update, doom scrolled Twitter, shoulder tension, no breathing, stood, stretched, conscious breathing, much better. Challenge, can I be comfortable during my nap? It seems obvious I should be able to, 
but it's actually challenging to relax, release tension, not get lost in thoughts. Like even when I was taking a nap, it turned out I wasn't comfortable. It doesn't mean I wasn't doing it. I wasn't getting the rest I needed. You know, I take these little 20, 25 minute cat naps once a day, but I realized, gosh, I'm holding my breath a lot. I'm not drinking water. I'm not going to the bathroom when I have to go to the bathroom. I'm not even comfortable when I'm taking a nap. <laughs> and this wasn't my challenge. <laughs> this is what I, I stole to my friend. And I noticed later in the day, I wasn't texting, but I was just driving to get some things, some some food from a farm. And yeah, I was just like, gosh, I'm I'm tense in here. Can I, again, can I just be as comfortable as possible? And the awareness, A, made me a little bit more comfortable. I didn't just get more and more hunched until my discomfort had baked in. The clay was soft that I could at least try to adjust it. Mm -hmm. But just the awareness let me see, oh, what's my score? It's like, I'm bad at being comfortable. Okay, it's a new game to me. If I was starting to play golf, I've never played golf. Mm -hmm. I'd be bad at it. That doesn't mean I wouldn't have fun. So... I could just be like, okay, I'm a par, I don't know with all the words, but mm -hmm. I'm a par eight comfortable person. <laughs> mm -hmm. And maybe I can move down to a, a par six in the course of playing the game. Mm -hmm. And there are people that are par one or they beat par, whatever. <laughs> Forgive me if I'm mangling all the ways golf actually works. But well, it's an interesting term for what, what, how, what you were just describing. They use the word handicap. Oh yeah, handicap. That's what it is. So each hole has a par, right? It's it's how many exactly. shots you should you should take. But your handicap is how many over par you are. Got it. How many over the the average it should take something. Yes. Yeah. So maybe I I have a eleven handicap with physical comfort. Uh -huh. But I can chip away, right? I could be a, a duffer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh get to uh meet people like this guy's amazing. He's a two handicap at physical comfort. Or she's <laughs> She is really racked. She's a 30 handicap, but she's playing in a different league. She's playing with all the other management consultants. <laughs> They're all 30 handicapped. So she's actually way ahead of some of her bosses and colleagues. So I just wanted to overlay that you don't have to get 100% to succeed to have it be fun to play the game, mm -hmm. which I think life can often feel like it's 100 or 0 too, but that's not true either. Right. Does the game have any boundary is there ever a reason to leave the game is life with this understanding the task is just keep getting back to the game you're playing a game pejoratively but actually you're only living when you're playing the game one might argue you don't have to do it of course with that explicit framework but why not is it just a matter of keep putting on the goggles and seeing where you are and then mm. going from there or is this just something to pop in and out as an exercise have I taken it too far hmm. with that last claim? Well, what's coming up for me when you say that is that every game has its bugs. And you see this all the time with the apps on our phone. You're just upgrading a, a bug about some glitch. And I could see one of the potential bugs in the game being that we intellectualize or we, without really realizing it, let's say I am in pain and let's say, let's say I'm in a deep regretful state. I did something that was not nice to someone else. Yeah. And I say, shame. shame. And I say, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to put the, the VR headset mm -hmm. on and play the game. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So from the drop down, <laughs> I see how my options are. I can move on. I could just wallow, apologize, move on. Yeah. Could do those things. So I would caution against the game being this film between the jagged rawness, which is what the intention of the game is to be more raw and real and alive as a a security blanket from some of the 
whatever we you know put out in the world we can't necessarily put the game on as a shield to not feel the repercussions mm. from that game i think that's beautiful yeah i think to to know you you still have to experience your experiences which is what the game is trying to help you do but if it's in the way of that i could see what you're saying emotionally or even cognitively just remember that it is always there it is always free i like to do the physical motion of pretending to put on the headset <laughs> mm -hmm. but you can also not do that if say you're driving or you're with other people and it's a bit much and i think of course practicing a little bit in the simpler scenarios that aren't interpersonal like the toothbrushing or the walking around the backyard or just sitting at your desk at work without someone else there i think those are really good practice points for being able to put it on in a more heightened situation. Mm, I would agree with that. And it's not to say that if we did something where there, that shame, go back to that shame example, it's not to say that the game couldn't be effective for that. It's just, we can't put it on as if we would have a martini to, to numb ourselves. Well, there's an amnesia of sorts to the game. You're not bringing in all these thoughts about the past and the future nearly as much. And I think that is useful. It is good to be rooted in the present, which we almost never are. And even in an experience of shame, like I did this, but now I'm in the present. I'm dropped in this scenario. Every computer game starts basically like every movie starts, like something terrible happens. Now you have a big problem and you've got to blast your way out of it or puzzle solve your way out of it or collect and trade them, race them your way out of it. Mm -hmm. So it's not bizarre to say, I did this thing. And maybe it's still just a pop-up and that's just a pop-up that we have to keep in mind. It's like, sit with this. <laughs> mm -hmm. Feel it. Cry. This is why you're, even in these whatever fighting games, your corporeal self, even if it's represented on the screen, it's not as effective and it even gets blurry sometimes. When you're at low power and low strength and low life source or whatever the units they use are. And I think we're not talking about necessarily you're literally physically dying, but you might be, you could be sick, you could be dying, or you could have this emotional shame situation that you did something terrible, but at the same time, then you're still in the game. <laughs> mm -hmm. You still, it's like, what do you do with that? And what pops up. So maybe it's also just broadening our scope of examples for what to do. I play the game sometimes with my eyes closed. It's not like, oh, it only can be physically marveling. It can be like, wow, let me just really take in the sound. They have done amazing sound effects. <laughs> or it's turning it off all that stuff. Can I feel what's happening inside my body? Physically, but that's quite emotional too. What are our emotions, but our explanations for our physical and vice versa, probably another topic. Mm -hmm. So take us home with the headset on or off. What can listeners do with this? What can we do with this? And how do we understand life from this perspective and this experience? I think the key word was awareness. If we can start to cultivate more awareness of what's actually happening within us and around us, just by that very nature, we start to stoke and cultivate the conditions to play the game. And with awareness, we're not necessarily looking for just the positive valence of, oh, I'm aware, I feel great. We are also aware when, as you said, we feel uncomfortable and that might seem counterintuitive to shine a light on things that are quote unquote negative. But the real deal is that when we shine the light on what is happening, what, it, what our felt sense is and how we are in within our body and then also moving through space, that goes a long way to inform us to decide how we want to play the game. And that 
inherently feels good. So no matter where we are, there's always a next best step. But the only way we can take that next best step is to have a real clear sense of where we actually are. So awareness, acceptance, and try it. Literally, physically try it. Put your hands on as if you're putting on the mask and look around in a safe space in your house and see what happens. Because the game is real, but we are allowed quite a bit of latitude to experiment and explore while we're here. Wonderfully put. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for making us part of your game. We're so grateful to you. It's good to have you on the other end always, Damon, to help me understand process, experience, and I really look forward to our next conversation. If you are listening at home, on the road, in the headset, wherever, please share the show if you found it meaningful. We hope that these can be conversation prompters. We've gotten so much valuable feedback from people that share and then have a fun conversation with a friend or family member based on the conversations we had first. So thanks for doing that and please keep doing it. Thanks everybody. Stimulus and Response is hosted by Damon Valentino and Jeremy M. Smith. Produced by Matt Mullins of Black Rooster Productions. Please rate, review, and share the show. And please join us next time for another stimulating exploration of the best parts and best ways of being human and being alive.